Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Great to see you this morning, and uh, I want to take you on a bit of a journey of church history this morning. I want to talk to you today about Pentecost, about Pentecost. And uh, so tonight, I'm going to be doing over two two, uh, sessions. This morning, we're going to look at the church history surrounding Pentecost, and then the early church, then tonight I want to talk specifically about the day of Pentecost. You know, when you read those four verses about the birth of the early church, about the sound of a rushing mighty wind, about the tongues of fire, let me say this, it all has relationship back to the Old Testament. There's such theological significance about the birth of the early church. And what I really felt stirred, especially after Easter, is that it is good for us to know our roots. It's good to know our historical background. And so uh, I'm going to talk to you about that tonight. But this morning, I want to talk to you just the whole idea around Pentecost. And, uh, you know, we've just had Easter after the resurrection. The most important event in the New Testament was the birth of the early church. Come on, who knows that? After the death and burial burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, Pentecost came. And the book of Acts opens up with this statement of what the Lord Jesus says to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 8. He says, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them. He gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the... With the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 to 21 tells of the fulfillment of what Jesus actually spoke about. Now when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there was staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all of these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia... Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them. Hasn't really changed, has it, over the last 2,000 years? We still get mocked. We're in good company. And said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. 
It is only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see dreams. Your old men will dream, sorry, your old young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. They will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that great scripture, hey? Uh, We are known as a Pentecostal church. Um, Because really, we believe that the move of the Spirit that started in the early church continues today. Uh, One of the things that God spoke to me about, I came from a mainline church that didn't believe in the move of the Spirit today. I came from a mainline church and God started to really stir my heart when I was a teenager about that there was more. And, uh, you know, I started to go on this journey of really saying, God, what I'm reading in the early church, can that happen in the church today? And God began to lead me to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He said, go to what what Peter says to the crowd. And Peter replied, because people are asking these questions, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. The promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, I just want to make sure here, I want to just double check here. Is, is anyone living here that was living in the apostles' time? Some of you are unsure. <laughs> All right? We are the ones who are far off, like really far off. And God spoke to me out of that and said, it wasn't just a promise for back then, but it was a promise from the church eternal. It was a promise for all generations. It was a promise for all cultures, right? It was a a promise of the move of the Spirit that started in the early church and continues throughout the Word today, world today, right up to this present day. Now, one of the reasons I want to speak about this today is because there is a renewed interest in the Pentecostal church. One of the reasons for that is we are often quoted as the fastest growing church in the world. And the reality is that is probably true. You know, we are seeing moves of God in all different countries around the globe. Uh, You know, you look at our church, you often don't see it just in one service. But, you know, over Easter, we had over 4,000 people attend church. You got to understand a few years ago, just even in our church, all of the campuses would come together on a Friday morning Easter. We can't do that now. Friday morning was represented by Dandenong and Monash. Everyone else had their own campuses. We actually had to close the car park gates because we could not fit any more, anyone else in the actual building. God is doing something very powerful, right, in our church in Melbourne, in Australia. So when the media says the church is dying, we ain't seen it. Planet Shakers ain't seen it. Hillsong ain't seen it. Other Pentecostal churches are not seeing it. Praise God that there is a move of the Spirit that goes beyond the negative publicity that the world tries to stamp on the church. I actually get quite annoyed about it, right? Ignorance is dangerous. But also mainstream media, because our current prime minister does go to a Pentecostal church. God does go to an ACC church. Now, whether, whether you vote Labor or Liberal, this is not a discussion about that. It's just the fact that our current prime minister goes to a Pentecostal church, all right? So we seem to be known as the modern 
happy, clappy, new-style church, right? But in reality, we're not new-style. We've been around for many years, okay? We need to be aware of our heritage. We need to be aware of our roots. Sometimes when you talk to people, you know, one of the things I love about our church is blowing people's minds about church perception, you know? Um, I remember, you know, when I was in Adelaide and, and left, left the workforce to go into the ministry, people were talking about the robes that I have to wear. I said, I don't wear robes. You know, I love the fact that people walk into our church and go, wow, these are normal people here. It's funny, sometimes the world just has this perception. Everyone who goes to church is abnormal, but everyone who doesn't go to church, who lives a terrible lifestyle, is normal, right? And yet we see here that, at, that at our church, right, um, sometimes people just have these wrong perceptions about church life. I guess the idea is often people have this idea that it's a new thing that has only just started because the media have kind of put their focus on it, right? But I want to say this today, the idea of a Pentecostal church, the idea of Pentecost is not a new idea. It comes from the very fact that the early church was birthed on the day of Pentecost, something that was established in the Hebrew calendar. The backdrop of my title actually comes from a painting by Joseph Muldorfer, was a Hungarian painter and uh, in 1750, and it's called The Coming of the Holy Spirit, right? Coming of the Holy Spirit. So uh, I want to just talk about the church history idea of the Holy Spirit today and then relating it back to the, to the New Testament church. Tonight, I want to specifically speak about the theology around those four verses when the Holy Spirit came upon the birth of the early church. There's so much theological significance around that. Let me say this, when God does a new thing, it's always attached to God, something that God has done in the past. God is a continuum. God is always doing stuff that is always related to other things. The, the rush of a mighty rushing wind, the, the sound of a mighty rushing wind is a powerful illustration. It's a theophany of what God has actually done in the past. So we're going to actually have a look at that tonight. But if you look at church history, you will see the church has always had a focus on the work of the Holy Spirit. And even though we're seeing today kind of the outworking of a modern day revival that happened all the way back into Azusa Street back in the 1900s, right, throughout the ages, there has been overwhelming evidence that the Holy Spirit was continually working in people's lives throughout the church, seeing people filled with the power of the Spirit. Major theologians and church leaders spoke about the importance of the Holy Spirit for hundreds and hundreds of years. So let me give you a few of these uh, before we move on. Right, Clement of Rome, an early church bishop, uh, that rose to prominence after the death of Paul and Peter, after they were martyred in 100 AD, said to the church in Corinth, he said, a full outpouring of the Holy Spirit was upon you all. So it just didn't stop in the book of Acts, but now we see other major church leaders declare the move of the Spirit. Justin Martyr, right, if you are a historian in church history, you would know that he was an early church apologist. He wrote in 100 AD, now it is possible to see among us men and women who possess gifts of the Spirit of God. Basil of Caesarea, known as Saint Basil the Great, an influential theologian, right, one of the early church fathers, born in 330 AD. He said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, all who are in need of sanctification turn to the Spirit. 
all those seek him who live by virtue, for his breath refreshes them and comes to their aid in their pursuit of their natural and proper end. Capable of perfecting others, the Spirit himself lacks nothing. He is not a being who needs to restore his strength, but himself supplies life and shares the gifts of grace. Heavenly citizenship, a place in the chorus of angels, joy without ending, abiding in God, being made like God in the greatest of them of all, being made God. What's his point? He's putting a focus on the work of the Holy Spirit. Augustine, one of the very early church fathers, speaks about the Holy Spirit in these terms. I don't have that up there, but he talks about the Spirit being a gift given by God, which unites believers together. The Holy Spirit forges bonds between between each other, the Spirit, right? It, it talks about the church being the temple of the Holy Spirit within the Holy Spirit actually dwells, right? Another classic work on the Holy Spirit is attributed to the medieval theologian Stephen Langdon, right? Between the, uh, the years 1150 and 1228. So Stephen Langdon was an English cardinal of the Roman Catholic Church. And he was also the Archbishop of Canterbury, so for, the, for 21 years, he kind of ruled in that capacity between 1207 and 1228. He wrote a liturgical sequence. It was very famous today called Venti Sancta Spiritus, which basically means come Holy Spirit. So before the Pentecostals wrote the song, come Holy Spirit, old Mr. Stephen Langton wrote the song, come Holy Spirit. Now he wrote it in Latin, but we really write it in English, right? His hymn, right, speaks about the work of the Spirit, right, in a number of images, right? So it's all focusing on the Spirit's role of creating, renewing, healing. In Latin, it has a rhyme and a rhythm. I'm not going to read it in Latin because I can't read Latin, right? But it basically reads this. It says, wash what is dirty, refresh what is dry, heal what is wounded, bend what is stubborn, melt what is frozen, direct what is wandering. Back in the year 1100, they began to speak about the work of the Holy Spirit. Wash what is dirty, refresh what is dry, heal what is wounded, bend what is stubborn, melt what is frozen, direct what is wrong. You, you, church, you just think about our ch church life and our church community, what we go for. It really hasn't changed over the years, has it? It's really been the same message again and again. The Christian tradition, not the Pentecostal tradition, the Christian tradition, the tradition of our faith generally understood the work of the Holy Spirit in these three areas, revelation, salvation, and the Christian life. You think about it, often even our preaching today is often centered around these three areas, revelation, getting a revelation from God, getting a revelation out of the, the Word of God, salvation, believing that the Holy Spirit can stir people's hearts to come into salvation. I can't convict people, but the Holy Spirit can convict people. The problem with many Christians, when they try to convict, they only condemn. It is not our job to convict. Come on, church. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict people. We do a terrible job of conviction, but the Holy Spirit does an amazing job of conviction, right? We may have different labels, right? Pentecostal church, we may have different styles, music, lights, a younger generation. We may not wear robes on stage, but jeans and t-shirts, but in reality, our roots go back thousands of years. A continuum of Pentecost, a focus on the importance of the Holy Spirit in individual lives and in the life of the church all the way back to the early church. Right? Martin Busser was a German Protestant reformer 
in the Reformed tradition. He was based in Strasbourg, who influenced the Lutheran and the Calvinist and the Anglican doctrine and practices. He was a very mainline guy, right? In 1536, his commentary on the Gospels speaks about the Holy Spirit's role in revealing God to us. I love this. He said, before we believed in God and are inspired by the Holy Spirit, we are unspiritual. And for that reason, we are completely unable to apprehend anything relating to God. So all the wisdom and righteousness which we possess in the absence of the Holy Spirit are the darkness and the shadow of death. They're powerful. In other words, we in our own natural minds cannot comprehend how wide, how deep, how wonderful the love of God is. We can only do that through the Spirit of God, right? So many writers kind of have the same theme throughout the ages. He goes on to say, so those who believe are not under the law, because they have the Spirit within them, teaching them everything more perfectly than the Lord ever, ever could, and motivating them much more powerfully to obey it. In other words, the Holy Spirit moves the heart so that believers wish to live by those things which the law commands, but which the law could not achieve by itself. In other words, he says, you and I need the Holy Spirit to live our life. We cannot do it on our own. An early Irish Methodist preacher named Thomas Walsh, who describes himself as a converted Roman Catholic, Recorded in his diary in 1750, the Lord gave me a language I knew not of, raising my soul to him in a wondrous manner. 1750, he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Had a major move of God upon his own life. We get to the 20th century. We see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the Azusa Street Mission in Los Angeles in 1906, known as the Azusa Street Revival. It went for a number of years and it marked the beginning of across the globe of a fresh move of God that you and I are still living in today. William Seymour, the one-eyed pastor, went to this particular church in Los Angeles. The story is very funny, actually. And he gets there, and the church invited him to come and be their pastor. And he starts preaching at the church, right? He starts preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, even though he had never been baptized in the Holy Spirit himself. So he's preaching like this is the gold standard for living, And he goes, I've never experienced it, but I know that God wants me to have it. And I know that God wants this generation to have it. And I know that there is something out there that God wants us to have. And he begins to preach it and he begins to go for it. He begins to hunger for it and pursue it and and seek after it. He does one sermon on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He finishes his sermon. He goes home. He says, come back tomorrow because I'm going to give you part two. The next day he goes to church. The elders had changed the locks on the church door because he freaked them out so much. Yeah, we don't want you here. Get away, you know. An old lady who was there sees what goes on, says, I want you to come back to my house. Because, you know, he had no family, had no place to stay. So he went back to her house. And he said, do you mind if I start having meetings in your living room? She said, sure. He starts having meetings in the living room. People start coming. All of a sudden, people start getting healed. People start getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. Right, people start getting filled with the Spirit of God, right? You and I, in our Pentecostal way, we understand these things. They'd never, ever seen that before. They started having a move of God. They, they say that people just started, thousands of people started to gather around that house. They had a, at one stage, they had like 100 people on the porch. It actually broke the porch. The lady freaks out. She goes, look, I love the move of God, but you're actually destroying my house, right? And so in the end, they had to go into another, it was kind of like a barnyard that became the Azusa Street Mission, And that's how that church actually started. Around the same time in 1907, across the other side of the ocean, we see the Korean Pentecost. I don't know if we've got that up there, right? 
well, it's a bit hard to see right on the bottom, right? The Korean Pentecost, coastal movement at the same time, right? All around that same era, there was the Welsh revival as well in Wales that they saw a massive move of God. The church that I come from, the senior pastor, his father, his grandfather came out of the Welsh revival. He was a coal miner that got baptized in the Holy Spirit. It radically changed his life. He went to India and started a number of churches. Actually, people in Chadston actually come from the church that he started many, many years ago. Right back when he was, even Frank and I, Frank and I, when we were first married, we lived in his house. And, uh, you know, we were saving up to have a house, and he had a house, and he had a little granny flat at the, behind the house. He goes, you guys can stay in the granny flat. And so for the first six months, we stayed in this grandpa's house who came out of the Welsh revival. I'll tell you what, every morning he would pray for us. He, uh, he, there was such a touch of God upon his life. He, he went over to Outback Australia and started a church amongst some of the people out there when he was 85 years old. He was blind, and he still started a church. And here we complain and whinge. We want everything to line up for us, mate. I'm telling you, when you get filled with the fire of God, you don't care what position you go into, you just go for it, you know. But all of that came out of the early 1900s, right? One of the guys that came, not came out of that, but rose to prominence was a guy named Smith Wigglesworth, right? Many of you guys would know. Yeah, he was an amazing man of God, just saw people raised from the dead and healings and signs and wonders. He was known as the apostle of faith. He was a pivotal figure in the early days of Pentecost. He makes this statement. He says, The divine will is that you should be filled with God for the power of the Spirit to fill you with the almightiness of God. There is nothing God will withhold from a man who is filled with the Holy Ghost. Yes, there is power, a blessings, an assurance, a rest in the presence of the Holy Ghost. You can feel His presence and know that He is with you. You need not spend an hour without this inner knowledge of His holy presence. With His power upon you, there can be no failure. You are above power all the time. The baptism of the Spirit is to make us sons of God with power. We shall be conscious of our human limits, but we shall not limit the Holy One who's come to dwell within. We must believe that since the Holy Ghost has come upon us, we are indeed sons of God with power. Never say that you can't. I love that. All things are possible to them that believe. Launch out into the deep. Believe that God has his all for you and that you can do all things through him who strengthens you. Praise God. Right? I wanted to share this just in this snippet because the roots of our faith, are not a cultural flavour that has only been a recent phenomenon over the last 15 or 20 years. Many people in the world just think we've just a fly-by-nighters. We've just popped up out of nowhere. We have a rich history over thousands of years that we have held to and that God has blessed. I just want to make a point of clarity. Here in Australia, again... Often I know that often our distinctiveness compared to other people is that we are contemporary. We are modern. So there's kind of a distinctiveness of the Pentecostal church is contemporary. It's modern, okay? We don't wear robes. It's a lot more casual on stage. Got nice seating. But we're very different to some of the other, fa- other traditions that, that are out there. But can I say this? Being contemporary and having a move of the Spirit is not the same thing. 
being contemporary and having a move of the Spirit is not the same thing. I was a meeting uh, last year in, in, in some of the missions places that I was seeing. There was a group of tribesmen in Afghanistan, Afghanistan that were filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? They videoed them. These guys were literally drunk in the Spirit. Right? They got saved and then the Spirit of God came upon them. They started speaking out of the tongues like they had a massive move of God. They were not contemporary. They, they didn't have what we have today. But let me say this, they had a hunger for the things of God. But we in our missions program, without our physical help, though we support these people, we are supporting nationals, where God is pouring his, himself out upon people right across the globe. Well, there's a lot of persecution in Nepal right now. We need to pray for the, for the pastors in Nepal. There's a lot of persecution going on. But at the same time, there is an unprecedented move of God in that country at the same time. Across villages, uh, in persecuted countries, and mountainous regions. And it's just a small point, but often we associate a lot of Pentecostal churches as contemporary as modern. You know, like Planet Shakers and Hills. Oh, look at that, they're modern. They've got the lights and the LED screens. I want to remind us today, we can be modern, but have no move of God if we don't go for the Holy Spirit. Our distinctiveness, our distinctiveness church is that we recognise we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the church. But let never our distinctiveness be just another cool thing that's happening. Let our distinctiveness be that we are a hungry church. We desire the Spirit of God. We want to dig deep wells with God. We want to live a morally pure life because that's when the Holy Spirit comes and begins to stir us. We want our distinctive to be not the fact that we've got all this, but that we are people that hunger for the Spirit of God. That is our distinctive. Church, that is our distinctive. For us, we are no different to the RSL club. We're no different to anything else that's out there. We're no different to the cinemas. They've got better screens than what we have. Come on. You understand what I'm talking about today? Right? Which brings me back to my point. This is what I've realized in the kingdom of God. You get what you go for. You receive what you focus on. There is so much as a Christian that is available to us. When I was a young man growing up in this traditional church, I always felt my Christian life lacked power. I had a desire to know more of God. I had a desire to seek more of His presence. And God began to stir my heart uh, when it came to being filled with the Spirit, which brings me back to the day of Pentecost. Jesus makes this powerful statement, not to the crowd, but to His disciples. On this one occasion, while He was eating with them, He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You've got to understand, church, that the... the, the, the the disciples had an Old Testament mentality of the Holy Spirit, right? So they don't have the, theolog the theological background that we have today. So all those things that I've written have people's understanding of the Holy Spirit over the years. The disciples didn't have that. So he says to them, he gives them this new idea. You are going to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. It would have been a radical thought to these guys that only ever had an Old Testament idea of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament used to come on and off people. So the Bible says of King Saul, the Holy Spirit came upon him. He was changed into another man, came off him, right? Then you have to go speak to the prophet Samuel about what God was saying to him and so forth, right? The Bible speaks about Samson. The Spirit of God came upon him, right? Came off him, right? There wasn't, the Spirit of God used to reside in the temple. I often call it tap and go, where the Holy Spirit would come, right? On, off, on, off. Right? You look at Old Testament history, you'll see that. Right? 
Many people in their relationship with the Holy Spirit, they still live in an Old Testament mentality. Come to church, on, off. No, He's with you every single day. He is with you every single day. Jesus comes to them. Here we go. Oh, there you go. Tore a hammy. He comes to them and He says to them, you'll be baptised in the Holy Spirit. Gives them a whole new concept. Now we understand what baptism means because we had baptisms last week. Baptism means a renewal. It means a washing away of the old. We go into the baptism, water baptism. We come out, right? We are a new person. Baptism also means immersion, being completely saturated. He comes to them and he said, you will not just have a touch of the Holy Spirit. You will be completely saturated with the Holy Spirit. You will be completely immersed in the Holy Spirit. You will be, the Bible talks about him being a comforter, a helper. You will be immersed in help. You will be immersed in comfort. You will be immersed in good counsel. You will be immersed. You don't need to go to church to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. No matter where you are 24 hours a day, you can experience the presence of God in your life all the time. You don't need some Old Testament prophet to come and touch you, right? Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we have an ongoing relationship with God. And he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they needed it. It's interesting that Jesus, and I'll finish with this, Jesus tells them to wait. I find that really interesting, you know, because think about it. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. There was no reason why they had to wait anymore. The message was complete. I don't know about you, but when I would have seen him resurrected, I would have gone, yes, I'm ready to go. Come on, I'm going to take this message of resurrection. Come on, Jesus, I'm going to take you with me. See, I told you I was right. See, he's risen from the dead. There he is physically, right? But he still tells them to wait. Now, previously, before he went through the crucifixion, he asked them to wait. So the Bible says to Peter, I don't know if we've got this up there, but he says to Peter, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, the Christ, the God. Then Jesus said to him, strictly warn them, do not tell this to anyone. What's the point? Jesus is basically saying, my mission, my mission is not yet, yet completed. I'm asking you to wait before you start proclaiming me. There are many other times where when he did miracles, they tried to grab him. The Bible says they tried to force him to be king, and yet he slipped away from them. In other words, he recognized that his time wasn't ready yet. But now after the resurrection... Right? There was no reason to wait. They were ready to go. But Jesus tells these guys, hey, listen, you have to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Why do they have to wait? Very simply, you are going to need help to do what I have called you to do. You want to be effective with the message? You want to be effective with what I've given you? You can't do it in your own strength. Your stamina needs help. Your character needs help. Your emotions need help. You as an individual, with all your fractured thinking and your brokenness, you actually need help. Have you noticed when we, when we got saved that we didn't become supermen? Have you noticed that we're still in the same body? And wouldn't it be great if we got saved and then all of a sudden I got a six-pack? All of a sudden I got more hair. All of a sudden all my little ailments are gone. We get saved, still the same body, still the same fractured thinking, still the same fears, but now we have the Lord Jesus to help us. Hello. And now our spirit has been made alive to God and he actually guides us and directs us and helps us. These were ordinary men. 
A difference between the New Testament and the Old Testament, they weren't like Joshua, who had spent years in battle, and so when he took over from Moses, like he was highly trained, Moses had been trained in the king's courts. Yes, he couldn't speak, but he was a leader who'd been trained over many years. You look at King David, over many years had been developed and trained. You look at King Saul, even what he came through at the same time. These were people that were high-level people. The disciples were like you and I. And Jesus says, you're ordinary people that are about to step into an extraordinary world. You can't do it in your own strength. You need help. The Holy Spirit can help you. All right, let me say this. I don't want our church just to be a church that speaks about the truth. I actually want to empower people to live the truth. There's one thing to actually know the truth. There's another thing to actually be empowered to live the truth. All right? This is what the Holy Spirit actually does. These men were plucked out of an ordinary life to do something extraordinary for God. Bible says in Acts chapter 2, they were filled. Acts chapter 4, verse 29, they were freaking out. They were about to step into another arena. They were fearful. They were scared. But the Bible says in verse 29, as they prayed, because people were coming against them, now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and to perform signs and wonders throughout the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the Word of God boldly. When you are filled with the Spirit, He comes and gives you boldness. He comes and gives you joy. There's another scripture that talks about them being filled with joy. The reality is He comes and He empowers you. Acts chapter 13, verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, do not be drunk, get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a constant infilling that God wants to bring into our world. Church, I honestly believe the infilling of the Holy Spirit is not optional. It is a necessity. It is a necessity. It's not like it's been some new thing that has just cropped up over the last 20 years. I know we kind of label our movement as Pentecostalism. That's man's label. But in reality, you look at the history of the church, there was always a value on the Holy Spirit. I just don't want to preach the truth. Church, I want to live the truth as well. I cannot live the truth on my own. Yes, you know what? We are changed from glory to glory. We are always developing in our character. You know, that doesn't mean that you just don't try to live for God. But God gives you help. Baptized in help. Immersed in in help. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.